Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Foundry Church Podcast. We upload a new message here every week, so if you want to be notified every time a new one is posted, make sure to subscribe. You can also keep up with us on our Facebook page where you can find the video messages and more. With that said, here's the next part in our series, Short and Sweet. So today, we are using the um, story in our short and sweet series of Beauty and the Beast. If you haven't been worshiping with us, don't worry. This isn't church light. We'll get there. Trust me. But we're using these short and sweet fairy tales from old times to talk about some of the short and sweet books in the New Testament. And we said this series is going to be about those short, sweet books, and don't judge a book by its number. These books are rich with theology, rich with biblical truth, and rich with the gospel. So today, we're leaning in and we're using Beauty and the Beast. Now, it's a much-known story, right? Everybody knows the story. Some of us love Mrs. Potts. Some of us love Chip. Some of us love Lumiere and the little can- and little feather duster. They were kind of a cute little item. It's, it's a story we all know. If I was like, B, R, guest. Many of us would be like, be our guest, right? We could all jump in. We know this story, so it's a great way to leap into Philemon. But before we jump into Philemon, I just want to give you kind of the uh, Spark Notes version. Beast was once a man, but he was a terrible man. He was really lame, and a little old lady came for shelter on a cold night, and he refused her and was pretty nasty and got cursed. That curse extended to him and the entire castle. All its inhabitants were cursed as well. And he could only be healed by receiving and giving love. But then there's beauty. Belle, right? She is this sweet, winsome, self-sacrificing, loving young lady. She loves the beast eventually, even when he's unlovable. And she gives of herself greatly. And the beast indeed is transformed by love and remade into what he was supposed to be. The love of someone actually helped remake him into his original identity. And all of those who lived in and around the beast's influence were transformed as well. I think this speaks good to the book we're going to study. But it has to be talked about the idea of living under a curse. This castle lived under a curse. And sin in Scripture is often described as a curse. It was actually the result of the first sin from Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, 16 to 19, you can read the story of God's pronouncing of a curse over sinful living. And he pronounces a curse. And it's brutal to read. And we have lived under the curse and the weight of Adam's sin and Eve's sin all of our lives. Sin is not what you do. It's who you are. You have a sinful nature. And the reality is you are living under that curse and it binds you at times. Sin is referred to as slavery by the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church in Rome. In Romans 6.20 it says there was a time where we were enslaved to sin. We were bound like with chains to sin. We couldn't break free and we didn't have an identity of our own. So we're enslaved to sin. If you wonder what sin looks like in, in a community like in Beauty and the Beast, how uh, this young prince was cursed and his whole castle fell under the curse, well, I believe there's a biblical example of this in the story of Achan from Joshua, the book of Joshua and the con- conquest of the Holy Land. We see Joshua, they, um, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? 
We all know that song. You want me to sing it. I'm not going to do it. But Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And um, when, the, when the city collapsed, here's what happened. God says, don't touch anything. Don't keep anything, livestock, gold, linen, silver, anything from that city. It is devoted to me. And one man kept some things. His name was Achan. And Achan kept a few things. He buried them under his tent. And when the people of God went to battle and take in the conquest, the city of Ai, when they got there, they got routed. They got beat down unexpectedly. They were supposed to win that handily. And they got out of, absolutely, they just got the floor mopped with them, right? It was terrible. And they're like, God, we thought you were on our side. What's going on? And God said, there is sin in the camp. There is sin, willful, unrepentant, disobedient sin in this camp, and I will not have it. They cast lots. Eventually, between the two million Hebrews that are out, they, now remember, they've, been, um, in, they've gone through the Exodus, 40 years in the wilderness. Now, they're in the conquest of the land. Think of this. Achan has stolen something. He's on the verge of getting to the promise of God, and a little silver and a little gold was just too enticing. Eventually, he is pointed out by the casting of Lot that it's him. He opens up his tent, shows them the gold. He is put to death, and the whole community suffers multiple casualties and loss. Why? Because there was hidden sin in the camp. And sin weighs over us all like a curse, like it did in Beauty and the Beast. It hung over the people of God. It hangs over our lives. So today, we're going to dive in, and we're going to talk about a book called Philemon. Philemon is a great book. There's three characters I want you to know. First of all, Philemon. He is a Roman citizen living in the city of Colossae. It may sound vaguely familiar because in Scripture, we have a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians. Like we're Michiganders, they're Colossians, right? So that he, this Philemon is a member of the church that Paul started in Colossae. So he's a slave owner. Roman citizen living in Colossae who hosts a church. We'll talk about the slavery thing in a minute. Then there's, um, totally forgot his name. That's awesome. Uh, Onesimus. I was <laughs> just like, wow, there's so many people. Um, Onesimus is the second person I don't want you or me to forget, right? Onesimus is the slave who is owned by Philemon who has run away. Now, Colossae in Rome where Onesimus met Paul Colossae and Rome are about 1,000 miles apart, and you've got to take a ship to get there. Onesimus was an impoverished slave who had nothing, so clearly he stole from his master and ran away, right? That's Onesimus, the slave, Philemon, the owner, and the apostle Paul, currently in jail in the Mamertinian prison in Rome at this time. And he is writing a personal letter to Philemon. This is not a letter to the church. There's only one plural used in it, greet them it says, but otherwise this is a one-on-one correspondence and it made it into the canon of scripture which I think is phenomenal. It's a unique book because it's a personal letter to someone but it has impact for the church globally. So Philemon, a home church host, he led the church in Colossae. He was a convert of Paul and Onesimus had been his slave. Onesimus has run away and stolen from his master to do so. Now, in this context, in the ancient world, slavery was as common as carpet is in this room. It's what you kind of based your society on. 
everything stood on that concept. Conquered peoples were enslaved peoples. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's reality for them. It's a reality of the Roman people and the Roman uh, system. And here's the deal. It's not just the Romans. It has been historically um, the reality. Anyone who has conquered became the slaves of the conqueror. So we know this, that there was slavery in this time. And it was rampant and it was a big part of the economy. So Onesimus runs away. He ends up meeting this guy named Paul who leads him to Christ, having been led to Christ. He starts sorting out some of the sinful issues in his own past only to realize that Philemon, his master, is a good friend of Paul's. And in sorting out his past, there needed to be some things reconciled. So Paul writes a letter. And he talks to Philemon about forgiveness that he received in Jesus Christ. He talks to Philemon about the hope and transforming power of the love of Christ. He asks Philemon to extend Onesimus the same kind of forgiveness he once received. Think of the countercultural implications of this. Always remember this the church speaks over and against the values of a culture. And Paul does that here. He's saying, you may think of him as property. God thinks of him as someone made in his image, called for his purposes, and put on mission. So we see this story kind of in a countercultural context where Paul is calling Philemon to view Onesimus as a brother in Christ, not a piece of property. Join me. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Philemon if you can find it. And um, if you don't, you can follow along as I read on the screen. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now, well, I'm going to keep going for a second. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although, now this is where we get to a bit of Greek rhetoric. Now, the Greeks, Socrates, Aristotle, all these Greeks loved rhetoric. They're like one of those news shows where they argue with each other and solve nothing. Right? You ever see one of those? Where nobody agrees with anybody, it seems like they're pitted. Um, Greeks loved the rhetorical, um, the rhetorical move. They loved to create moments where um, you, you argue someone into submission, where, the, where they use their rhetoric, their logic, and their truth to point something out. But there's also this thing called um, like a rhetorical question. If you don't know what that is, then I would say this is a good rhetorical question. Did you enjoy that state game last night? Yeah, people in green are like, I'm never coming here again. Why would you bring that up? Don't worry, it happened to Michigan with Appalachia State. So we're, we're equal opportunity haters here. Um, so, But what happens is when you ask a question like that, of course you didn't like that state game if you're a fan last night. You're like, that was miserable, right? It's rhetorical. Paul's going to do this over and over again in this letter. Check it out. It's really well done. I enjoy it. Therefore, he says to Philemon, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now 
also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. See what he's doing? He's setting up the stage for this. It is none other than I, this old man and prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. Now remember, Philemon would have hated Onesimus. He was a thief, and he was his property. It is not, um, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now, formerly he was useless to you, which Philemon would be like, actually, he did a lot of good work, and I need him back. But formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him to you who is my very heart. Have you ever got that? Like, do, do you get that? What are you going to do if someone's like, here, take this. It's my very heart. What do you do with that? Do you see how he's setting the stage? I'm sending him back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. Another spoonful of shame. But I get it. I didn't want to do anything out without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. I feel like it's getting less voluntary here. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. To which Philemon's like, yes, I want him back. But not as a slave. Oh, right? Not as a slave, but better than a slave. As a brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you. To which Philemon's like, no, he's not. Quit saying these things. Do you see the countercultural that Paul's playing? He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Oh, that is petting the cat backwards. That is hard on someone. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, Right? Okay. That's like someone saying to me this morning, so you're going to church? It's a little rhetorical. Of course I'm going to church. Does he owe you anything? Yes. Of course he owes something. He stole from his master to run away. That, that implied narrative is right there. If he's done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Oh, yeah, because it's kind of like boxing, and at this point, he's laying asleep on the mat, and Paul's like, you know, it just drops the elbow. By the way, I'm the one who told you about Jesus. Don't forget your eternal life was brought to you in the message I bear. Don't forget that I was faithful to you. Now be faithful to Onesimus. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So be creative and go further. Ooh. Oh, and one more thing, which that's got to be brutal. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In answer to your prayers. Ephraim, my fellow prisoner in Christ, uh, Christ Jesus sends you greetings, as does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. That letter feels a little bit heavy with implied guilt and obvious outcomes, doesn't it? But why is it in Scripture? Because forgiveness is the cure. 
We need to get this in our heads as the church. Forgiveness is the cure. If Genesis 3 holds the curse that God laid onto humanity because of their willful sin, then I would say Revelation 1.5 holds the answer, the antidote, the antivenom to the curse. And it says this, from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from sin by his blood. We are forgiven by the blood of Christ. So forgiveness is the cure, but the cure comes in the death of Jesus Christ. His life, death, and resurrection secure for us the antidote to this curse of sin. It breaks the nature of the curse and life we have and creates in us space for a new life. Forgiveness is the cure. There's only one way to be freed from our slavery. And you may feel like you hear this over and over, but it's because it's the only way. Forgiveness is the cure. We don't want to be unclear on this from this place outwards. We need to understand that forgiveness in Christ Jesus is the only way. It's the only way to break the curse of sin that we live under. Forgiveness through Jesus Christ. As it's said in Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood. That's how we hold on. Forgiveness is the cure. And Philemon, the slave owner, knew what it was to be forgiven. In Philemon's life, the gospel would have rang out like a clarion bell, and it would have awoken him to a brand new life. He was once a pagan, worshiping a pantheon of Greek gods in sexual immorality and everything else, but he met Jesus Christ. He heard the gospel. He responded, and he knows what it's like to receive forgiveness for a debt he could never pay. He could have never paid it, and he knew it. He became a Christian through Paul. He knows what it is to be a slave to sin, to live under the curse of your past. He knows what it is to behave as a beast and what it is to be free. He understands how wonderful it is to be a new creation, to be a new creation. For me, one of the best examples of this that I can think of is when I was younger, I, I really struggled in school, to which some of you are like, of course you did, don't judge. But um, here's the thing, I really struggled in school, had a really hard time. Every semester, I would be like, I have all A's when it began. I was so excited because I didn't like the grades I got. I wasn't good. I sometimes worked really hard at it and eventually felt like I just gave up because I couldn't get it going. I really struggled. And to have a clean slate was awesome. The worst thing that ever happened was Mr. Black, he was my um, social studies teacher, said, you don't have an A, you have a zero. Go get an A. And I was like, that was all I had, sir. I had that and lunch, <laughs> and I'm ruined, right? But I love the idea of having a clean slate, what it means to be forgiven. And what we understand is Philemon understood what it is to be a new creation. Do you know the freedom? Do you, sitting in this room, know the freedom of being set free in Christ? We sit in church, we listen, we sing the songs, maybe we give a little, maybe we volunteer once in a while, but I want to ask the question of why we're here. Have you ever been forgiven in Jesus Christ? Have you ever received forgiveness for your sin and new life in Christ? Because if you haven't, this is a religious exercise that does nothing for your soul. 
And I want to invite you to, to feel, to hear the sound of freedom ringing in your own life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as the one who forgave you and saved you from your sin and redeemed you into a new life, at the end of this service, I would love to pray with you. I would love to have you come forward and pray the sinner's prayer and receive what Philemon received, salvation in Jesus' name, forgiveness by the blood of Christ and hope by his spirit to be a new creation. There's an opportunity here every week for you to receive the gospel, but especially this week, if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, I invite you, don't hang out and wait. Don't do something at the peril of your own soul. Respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. Respond to the grace of Jesus Christ, just as Philemon did, because once you've received the cure, once you're a new creation in Christ, you become someone who is commanded. You must share the antidote, the cure with the world around you. You must go out and tell the world around you what happened in your life. You must become a missionary for the gospel. You must freely forgive just as you were freely forgiven. You begin taking the gospel message outward. So there's the forgiveness that you receive, but then you become a literal conduit for forgiveness into this world. The Dead Sea in the Holy Land in Israel receives like hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of gallons of fresh water into it every day, flowing unceasingly by the Jordan River. And yet, it is a lifeless, stark, dead, empty void of salt water, so dense with salt, minerals, and things like that, that you can get in it and just float. Not because of your BMI, but because of the amount of minerals in it. And why is it the Dead Sea? Why is there no life? Because it receives life daily, continually flowing into it. Why is there no life? Because there's nothing flowing out. Forgiveness must flow out of our lives. It's not an option. It's the very imperative of the gospel. We receive forgiveness, and like Philemon, we are called to extend it. We've been freed from the curse through the blood of Jesus Christ. We must forgive those around us. Philemon must forgive Onesimus, but Philemon is justified. Onesimus did him wrong. He robbed him. He stole from him. He was, on, he was Philemon's property, and he ran away. Philemon is justified in a legal sense with his case against Onesimus, but it does not change the biblical mandate to forgiveness. It's not going to change. We must forgive. You must forgive like Philemon did. You must forgive that coworker, that family member, the person who hurt you, your former best friend, your coach who didn't recognize that D1 talent you had. You must forgive your classmates, the people who were horrible to you. And you can say, Eric, but I have all these reasons. And I would say, I know, so do I. But it doesn't change the mandate. You must forgive freely as you were forgiven. You must forgive. You must extend to the world what you received in Christ Jesus. If the curse is to be broken, it has to flow out of you. Now here's the thing. There are people who've hurt you and hurt me. And I know there's some in this room who are like, you have no idea the darkness and evil that you're calling me to forgive. Hear me when I say this. Yes, I am calling you to forgive it, but no, I am not saying to live a life without boundaries. 
You don't have to let them back in, but you do have to forgive. You can't let them live rent-free in your head forever. They will occupy the space where the Spirit of God is going to be moving in your life. And they'll remind you again and again of your past when the Spirit of God is telling you again and again and calling you again and again into his future. And here's the thing I love about this. Our love, the love of Christ was first experienced by you and me in the act of forgiveness. And for the world around us, that is the single most evident transformative part of our life. When the love of Christ is seen coming out of us in the act of forgiveness. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But does it free you up to live the life God intended? Yes, it does. I think of the beast. His people were held captive as other creatures. They were living as something other than what they were created to be. He was living as something other than what he was created to be. And if once we are free from sin, we find that that falls away. And we are challenged by this word from the Apostle Paul. We are called by this word to forgive and extend freedom to people around us. Do they deserve it? No. But neither did you when Christ died for you. We are called to the act of forgiveness because forgiveness transforms the castle, right? Forgiveness transforms the castle. Remember that moment, the beast has uh, fought Gaston. He gives his life trying to protect Bell and the inhabitants of his castle. He dies in an act of love and Bell begins crying over his giant woolly body, right? And we're like, oh no, the beast is dead, right? And you're all sad about it and you're like, why am I sad that this thing is dead, right? And then all of a sudden it starts like raining light, And the beast floats up in the air, and you're like, it's not over. It's Disney magic, right? Here it comes. And the beast is transformed. The the beast is transformed into what he was meant to be, into the life he was called to live. And he and all the inhabitants of the castle come to life. What was once dark and shadowy and necrotic becomes green and lush and full of life. Here's the thing. When we've received love, it transforms the community we live in if we let it flow out of us. It breaks the curse and promises of sin, which are all lies. The promises of sin are all lies. It'll give you pleasure. It'll give you a moment of of relief or whatever. It's a lie. When we see the power of sin broken and the curses broken, we realize that in being forgiven, we're set free. And in forgiving, we turn other people loose to experience the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our greatest missionary act is forgiving those who have wronged us without qualification. And we have to lean into that to transform the castle because here's what happens. In your life, there are things that are long dead and necrotic, and rotting like that old castle in Beauty and the Beast. And it's unused, but it's very, it's full, as Joanna Gaines would say, oh, it's just full of possibility. I like its bones, right? But here's the thing. You live with possibility, but possibility doesn't matter. It doesn't matter until it's transformed, transformed by the love of God. And you will find in your life old, dead things Acting like Michigan right around May 1st, where everything's growing, right? You look out, and like a tulip in one day is like, whack, it's like that tall. And you're like, where did that thing come from, little Dutch power, right? 
Everything's coming to life. Everything's soft and green and just like, it's like nature's taking a breath and your life will look like that. It'll be like old dead parts of you are breathing again. You'll be working not in the, in the power of your own life, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit of God fills the Christian, it moves throughout the life animating and bringing it to life, just as it did in the garden when God leaned down and he breathed the breath of God into Adam and he was animated and came to life, so too the life of the Christian when God leans down and fills us with his spirit and we let that spirit flow freely out of us. It brings our castle to life. Those things long dead no longer are. They had laid dormant for years, but now they're alive and awake in Christ. But here's the thing. To experience that new life, you must, you must receive forgiveness. I want to tell you something. I want you to hear this from me today. You are forgivable. You are lovable. You are more valuable than the world will ever give you credit for because you're made in the image of God for his purposes, his plans, and his glory. How much greater could one life be? than to be a life designated and set apart for the glory of Jesus Christ. Your life matters. You are forgivable. You can receive forgiveness. But here's the thing. If you're not going to be a Dead Sea Christian, you must then extend to the world a forgiveness that is beyond you. I told you the story the other week of Corrie ten Boom, the Dutch um, lady who was in a concentration camp. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. I would like you to watch this. But it really is true that the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. One of my great heroes is Corrie ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister Betsy died there. She's an amazing woman and after the war she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time and at the end of her talk she recognized the man coming up to her and she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She pictured him as he was then and as he came up to her he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her but she knew, she recognized him. She could see him and she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things, but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I ask God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. 
and I could say, brother, give me your hand, and I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. I want you to hear this call to you. I'm speaking directly to you. Maybe you grew up in the church, you've played all the games, you've done all the things you know you should do to be a Christian, except the one thing that makes you a Christian. You've come to Jesus Christ and you've said, forgive me for my sin. And you've laid all your good works down, which are nothing more than a pile of garbage at the cross. And you've given to Christ all that you have, and he's given to you all that he has. If you haven't done that, don't delay today. If you think you're beyond redemption, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Prove it wrong. Because today, I'm talking to the Christian who's been in church all their life, the Christian, and never made that step of trusting in Jesus as your Savior. To the person who's visiting with us today, and you're sitting there, or you're standing there, and you feel like your heart and head's on fire, and you want to run out of the building because you're scared, run the other way and come forward. Don't delay on the freedom of Christ through forgiveness. Don't do today what maybe you've done a thousand times over. I'll deal with it later. Today is our day. Let the gospel be real today in your life. When we dismiss this service, we've got two prayer stations, and that's for anybody who needs prayer. But I will stand right here, and I will wait, because there are some of you out there who need to give yourselves to Christ. He died for you, not so you could go to church and feel better, but so that you could be redeemed and live life and life to the full. Amen? So today, today let Christ become real. And if you are a Christian in this place and you have given your life to Christ, it's not over. It's not finished. It's just begun. Your life is called to be a mission field of love and forgiveness to a world which will do you wrong. But they did the same thing to Jesus. Why should we be any different? As you go from this place today and you think it's too much, it's too big, hear this benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine by the power of his spirit within us. To him be glory in Jesus Christ and in the church, both now and forever. Amen. May the church give glory to Christ as we leave this building. In the name of Jesus, you are dismissed, my friends. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. If you're interested in preparing for the next part, what you can do is you can go onto our website and find our weekly devotions. Being in God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. We hope that you were encouraged and challenged by this message and can't wait for you to join us again next week.